Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, a podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo noirs of today. Each week, we're going to deliver a discussion of our analysis of classic noir films, and occasionally we'll interview up and coming directors and writers of new neo noir films, all mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your hosts for the show, Jason D. Morris and Carly Street. You f- I fixed your microphone. I clicked the buttons. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> So, uh, let's go with uh, our favorite house on 92nd Street. Okie dokie. All right. So, uh, well, actually, how have you been recently? How's work going? Um, I came home from work today because my shoulder hurt so bad I wanted to cry into a bag of map eye. Ah, that's no fun. You You should put that hurt and pain into punching some people. I would, but it hurts my shoulders to lift. So, all right. Well, I can't I even swing a bat. You gotta take I'm on some... a deep heat. I'm yeah. on like a deep heat high at the minute. Oh, yeah. You should be taking some. Uh, I don't know what you guys have out there. I think we talked about sorry, some ibuprofen, um, maybe some Vicodin. Should you go to the doctor? Can you go to the doctor? I can't go to the doctor right now. Damn it. Yeah. <clears throat> Sending drugs through the mail is probably illegal. Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> I don't if know. anybody knows anybody. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, I have, I have a, I don't, I can't take Vicodin. It makes me feel all weird and nauseous. So I've got a bottle of it sitting here from one time where I had to get some from the doctor. And I could try to send it to you. It might get there a month from now because it'll be on a ship instead of like airmail. Oh, so they won't check that you're sending drugs to me. Maybe not. (laughs) That would be the hope, right? So that way you can actually get it and you might feel better. (laughs) Either that or I get arrested. Uh, There's There's going to be no podcast from from this date onwards because we need some bail money for Morris. Right. I'll probably be like breaking some sort of international laws. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> yes, something's banned in the UK that happens to be in the bottle or something like that. <laughs> um, so we're going to, speaking of breaking international law, well, actually, I guess that would be something different in NSA or whatever, but um, we're going to be looking at a film today that is strange and different and I thought was a British film. And it's nothing even remotely close to being a British film. There's nothing at all. Don't put that on us. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but before we get into that, because of this particular movie, our drink for today is um, an interesting one. And I actually I, I went and had to search something out that was fitting because I don't believe that there's any drinking in this film that I recall. Um, nothing really like stood out. So. What I did is because this movie revolves around the FBI um, is I went and looked for uh, a drink that was named after the FBI and I found one. Um, And this drink is called the FBI Fizz. All right. Oh, what a great name. Right. (laughs) Now, apparently um, this is named after uh, the FBI. No, no. (laughs) Well, sort of J. Edgar Hoover who, I don't know if he actually, I, th- I think he did start the FBI, but I think it was originally called Bureau of Investigations. Now it's Federal Bureau of Investigations. Um, and he became, he he would always uh, frequent the Stork Club in New York. So I guess he was there so much that they decided to name a cocktail after him. And that was the FBI Fizz. It should be the FBI Fuzz, but it's the FBI yeah. Fizz. Or Edgar Fuzz. Um, and so, yeah, I actually, I was, there's actually two FBI drinks out there. This one was way more fitting because it actually has a story to it. The other one is a, uh, foo-foo drink. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> with ice cream and you know all that other kind of stuff. Um, but so this one works pretty well, um, and I can't wait to try this one. Um, the main uh, spirit in it is whiskey uh, bourbon, um, and it's another shaken drink, so we get to listen to our ice change. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> There'll be a soundtrack coming soon of the various ice changes on cocktail drinks <laughs> you suggested. Anybody out there listening wants to make us a, a, a musical track with a shake and not stirred? Oh, please do. <laughs> um, so this this drink consists... The, first, you're going to get a high, highball glass. One of our favorites here. <laughs> um, and this contains uh, cherry herring, uh, bourbon... Jamaican rum and Carly's favorite soda water. All right. Oh God, it's just like the most worst things that you've said with a drink just put in one. <laughs> this actually sounds really great to me. I, I, really, <laughs> I can't wait to try it. So it's a half ounce of cherry herring, it's a half ounce of bourbon, and a half ounce of Jamaican rum, and six ounces of soda water. All right. So it's a you know it's a fairly strong drink. It's an ounce and a half. It's you know decent. It's a you know. Uh, and how you make it is you fill a cocktail shaker with ice and then you add in the cherry liqueur, uh, the bourbon whiskey, the Jamaican rum. You shake it until the ice sounds different. <laughs> and you need a you, sound effect for that. Right. <laughs> I'll have to find one this time. Uh, then you strain it into a highball glass and top it with soda water. That's more than topping. When it's six ounces of soda water, you're more than topping it. <laughs> six? Oh. So that's the main ingredient. It sounds like it's more, you know, on the soda water uh, side of it. It's probably like a, a very light uh, cherry flavored uh, bourbon drink because uh, it's got it's got a lot of sugar in it. It's got you know Jamaican rum and um, you know uh, cherry herring is like a, a brandy wine. Um, oh, I was going to ask what the hell that was, but I didn't want to sound silly. No, no, no. It's um, it's not. I mean, it's common, you know, probably for bars to carry it, but I, I don't know how many people actually know about it. Um, but yeah, it's like a brandy wine. Um, and that is our drink for today. That is a FBI fizz. And that's uh, pretty on par with the movie that we have today. Um, but before we get to that, uh, here is the trailer for The House on 92nd Street. service of the United States in peace or war is the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The Bureau went to war with Germany long before hostilities began. No word or picture could then make public the crucial war service of the FBI. But now it can be told. In 1939, with thousands of known and suspected enemy agents invading the Americas, the FBI started building up its force of special agents and employees from 2,000 to a war peak of 15,000. Before being sent into the field, each new agent had to learn all the modern techniques of crime detection, such as the use of a specially treated X-ray mirror through which an FBI man can see without being seen. The Federal Bureau of Investigation had to be the world's most efficient intelligence and counter-espionage service. For war is thought, and thought is information. And he who knows most, strikes hardest. By examining the intercepted mail of unsuspecting Nazi agents, the FBI uncovered many secret channels of communication. Between the lines of an innocent appearing letter, invisibly coded in an obsolete German shorthand, were important instructions for one group of spies. The Bureau's infinitely painstaking system of sifting and recording every scrap of potential information paid handsome dividends. The FBI was adding new names to its long list of Germans known to be dangerous. And each day, as fresh investigative reports came in from the field, FBI officials saw more clearly 
the pattern of German espionage in the United States. So The House on 92nd Street is a 1945 film. Uh, it's classified, depending on where you read, as a film noir or an American spy film. Now, we came across this film because I was looking for new movies to, to look at uh, for the podcast. And the blurb that I read said that this is one of the more famed British noir films. <laughs> And I can't fathom, I, I wish I could find what I was reading because it cannot be the furthest thing from this film. This is nothing to do with the UK, British, anything. The closest we get there is uh, German. <laughs> so, um, it's just, it's, it's not at all what I read or thought it was. I thought it was going to be uh, pulling up a great movie for Carly to, to enjoy and, and love being a British film. And um, I didn't do that. I, I brought to her. Uh, an FBI training film. Wow. <laughs> or FBI FBI propaganda That's film, I guess. very close to my synopsis in a nutshell. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Damn it. I shouldn't have said that. Right. And we need to do that, actually. Uh, Carly, can you please give us your super famous <laughs> in a nutshell synopsis? Well, you kind of said half of it, to be honest. The That's right. You can say it again. They like hearing your voice. The, the, anyway. the, the only nutshell. bit I added is a suave double agent single-handedly recruits the next generation of FBI recruits. Nice. And that's pretty yeah. accurate, you know? I mean, I, I think you left out the propaganda part. Well, I got pretty pumped. I wanted to join the FBI by the end of it. I thought, oh, you get me a fucking time machine. I'll go back to, you know, messing about with all that stuff that they had. It looks so organized. I bet if you walked into the FBI office now, it wouldn't be that organized. Could you believe all those filing cabinets? No, but it, do you know what? I love stuff like that. Notepads and filing cabinets and stationery. Give me some post-it notes and I'll be away. Love it. <laughs> yeah, you heard it first, dear folks. Uh, send Carly some yeah. post-it notes. I did FBI bags and filing cabinets. <laughs> uh, I mean, when I first saw that, that there's a sweeping wide shot of like an FBI floor. And here, here's the thing, folks. This movie is based on a real case and Everybody except for the main players in this movie, everybody except for the main lead actors of this film are all part of the FBI. I read that and I was so interested by that. Yeah, it's really great. It's a, it's a fantastic idea. Mm. Uh, it just didn't play out, I don't think, as well as it it should have. It, it, it was just too stiff for me. But well, it's the FBI, isn't it? They're on the alert for like, oh, is that a real gun or a prop gun? Can we arrest someone or not? <laughs> But that was really cool about it because like you're seeing the inside of, you know, things that most people would not be able to see. And that was pretty neat. So like when they're showing this big, huge sweeping shot of this, you know, and that, that was a funny thing. There were mainly all women um, on, on the floor here. And what we're seeing is we're seeing row after row after row of filing cabinet, filing cabinet, filing cabinet. And there were so many of them. Full of fingerprints. Yeah, full of fingerprints and mug shots. But it only takes like two seconds to get them. That's how efficient they Yeah, it was great. And, they, and it, it showed them all their little, like some of their processes of how they figure them out and how they compare things to other stuff. It was pretty neat. But it reminded me of uh, seeing the end shot of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark with the big, huge warehouse. And they go to file off the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant you know, in, in a box somewhere in this massive warehouse full of artifacts that nobody will ever see. Um, Area 51 or whatever it's supposed to be. It was that's that's really what it reminded me of seeing all these file cabinets in the FBI. I mean, it was like it's like Area 51, all of this information that's only privy to the FBI and nobody else could see it. Like, where did they even get all of this information? Can you imagine being the person in charge of locking the filing cabinets before you got to go home? No, I couldn't imagine. I would not want that job. I mean, what? What would they get paid? You'd, you'd, that'd be, you'd have to start it like three hours before the end of your shift. Right. You? I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's insane. I wonder if each file cabinet or at least a section of file cabinets is like 
kind of owned by one of the employees. Like this is your section. You deal with those, locking them, securing them, going through the files as something's requested. Like Carly, you have A, B, and C file cabinets. <laughs> there are many filing cabinets like it, but this one is mine. <laughs> you have to deal with everybody in America with the last name that starts with A, a B, or B. C. <laughs> Hey, well, that's not very fair, because what about the person that's got Z? Well, I mean, it would be X, Y, Z, right? They would Really? Yeah. I still think they're getting a better deal than A and B. Maybe. I, I guess there's a whole lot less people that have X, Y, and Z as last okay. names, but... Trust trust me, right? In I work in a warehouse with orders. We have, we have little boxes with orders that go in there while they can be bothered to come collect them. <laughs> a and B, right, it's just filtered over into a third lane. It makes sense. X, Y, and Z is not even full yet. Right. No, that makes sense. I'm just saying. And and that, saying. that's why we would give you A, B, and C, because we trust you. You're such a workaholic. Because <laughs> I've got the post-it notes. Yes, because <laughs> you have the post-it notes. <laughs> I mean, I just put them in the bin when they don't fit. I mean, everybody else apparently is doing it properly, but I'm like, eh, don't fit. Let's put it in D. <laughs> You're going to make sure they never get caught. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, it doesn't fit. Let's just leave it on the side. <laughs> So one of the the funniest things about this movie, I was watching this with my wife, Shawnee, and from the from the get go, from the title screen, this movie's got a problem. <laughs> it's so silly, but it's made by 20th Century Fox, which was, uh, I, I guess, interesting to me right from the get go. It made me go, what? I thought this was a British movie. <laughs> And I'm like, it's made by Fox? <laughs> really? So it's their title. It goes, it first it shows a case file. It says the FBI or whatever. And then it comes across the screen and says, uh, produced by 20th Century Fox. The funny thing about that is, is that the title produced by 20th Century Fox is in a very light white color that blends really well with the file folder underneath it that says FBI that it looks like it says produced by the FBI. Maybe it was. <laughs> which, which it feels like it was. And I wonder if that was on purpose because I didn't know it at the time, but as I was watching this movie, it became even more hilarious. The more I thought about that, because it really looked like it says produced by the FBI. Cause you don't even see the 20th century Fox part hardly at all. <laughs> And that was the first thing that my wife said is like produced by the FBI. That's weird. And I was like, yeah, but that's not what it said. <laughs> like, and then you, then you were 20 minutes in and we're like, yeah. Yeah. Produced by the FBI. Yeah. <laughs> it totally feels like that. Um, but yeah, so it, the, the, I think the main drawback of the movie is it does feel too documentarian. Like it, it does go into some, it, the setup of the movie is something that actually does happen. Um, and, uh, they recruit, uh, uh, I can't remember his name now. Oh my God. Uh, they recruit an American who he won. He was an Olympian, right? Um, I think so. and he, I think he had won the Olympics or whatnot. And I, I, I've read about this in the past, but I just, I don't remember all the details in depth, but they recruited him into the FBI in order to, um, spy on, uh, the Germans, right? I keep wanting to say the Russians, but it was the Germans because this is like World War II. Um, and he was already approached in Germany by the Germans to become a you know a double agent. And now the you know he doesn't want to do that. So the FBI is like, hey, you know, be go ahead and do that, but be an agent for us. So he's like a triple agent, whatever you want to call it. Um, I guess it's really a double agent because he's not an agent at all, but whatever. Um so the movie goes about him working for the Germans, coming back to America and setting up a radio base so they can more easily communicate from America to Germany uh, with the powers that be. Um, and my first, I, I didn't, I didn't quite grasp his first move. His first move was walk into a clock shop. And to get his watch fixed, which he knows has his credentials in it that were given to him from the Germans. And those credentials were to prove who he was and what his mission was to the U.S. counterpart of the Germans. The, the people that have, are considered sleeper cells or sleeper units in the U.S. Um, waiting for their orders or whatnot. 
So right off the bat, I didn't quite grasp that this guy was a double agent, that he was working for the U.S., and I thought he was actually a German spy. I didn't really get that this was the Olympic guy that we were following at the, at the first onset. And so it was really weird to me when he stops in at the clock shop and says, hey, can you fix my watch? And the guy switches the watch. And then especially later on, when he takes his credentials to whoever he's supposed to meet with, and they look at him and they're like, hey, he has access to talk to any of our spies. That's weird. And it didn't seem like he knew that that was going to happen. Like he didn't know that that was a thing. But it just it seemed really kind of like confusing to me that they didn't make it very clear that this guy is in on all of the stuff that the FBI is doing. Um, so two, two things to that point. Yeah. Number one is I sort of a new drinking game for us. Oh, and that is any time that they mention credentials take a shot because you'd probably be dead by the end of the film <laughs> we should just have a trailer of various people saying my credentials yeah here's my credentials have you got your credentials i've got my credentials yeah it's like it's a bit like and watching the x-files in that respect they do <laughs> yeah it was like wow well, is anybody just just you, you just sort of have a scene and everybody flips out the credentials like <laughs> And secondly, I missed a lot because I found the opening sort of like documentary bit, Boredom. the narration at the beginning. To yeah, it did, honestly, my mind started to wander, so I really zoned out. Yeah, I don't blame you. I, I totally understand I, that. I didn't come back into it until um, he went to the topsy turvy house with that crazy, scary Elsa woman. Uh, if I'm honest, went to the topsy turvy. I have to. Um, decipher yeah, you know, the, big, the big, the actual house. It was the house on 92nd Street. I called it a topsy turvy house because I thought. Are it was you talking funny. like almost when the movie's over? No, goes to the house at the beginning. Does he? And meets Elsa. Yeah, meets Elsa, the scary woman that's like, oh, your credentials are not real. Oh no no no! That's then, that's the like that's the storefront. That's not the house. Well, it's it's like a house. It's a storefront with the secret. Well, door whatever. The wedding the dress place. Yeah. With about hundred different doors in it. It's like Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I That's mean, that's when I started paying attention because I thought, oh, it actually kind of became a movie at that point. Yeah, you're right, and that's that's kind of like where I started to latch onto too, and things started getting a little interesting. There was some mystery to it. There was some plot going on. It wasn't. It was no longer the FBI training video or propaganda video and we kind of started to get into the plot and that's they should have maybe cut out that first 20 minutes or whatever it was because it was way too long there was too much uh the fbi is amazing but i, I guess that was the time frame that this movie came out because it really came yeah. out on the heels of this actually happening um i, I mean I, I like seeing the like the inner workings of the fbi and all that kind of intricate stuff but you had that all throughout the film and so I don't, it kind of, you kind of got it like shoved in your face right at the beginning. Right. To a point where you felt you were, you were sat in a museum watching one of those videos. Right. And that, that is kind of what it felt like. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I guess I don't, th I think it was just, um, I, again, I think that it was just because of the time period this movie came out. I mean, isn't it supposed to, it's one of the first sort of like documentary slash film sort of hybrid. It is. Ideas out there. It yeah. is. And I think I think a lot of it has to do with, the, you know, at that time there was the whole commun not Communist Party, but um, well, I guess that came a little bit later. But, it, you know, it's sort of I probably fed the idea behind this probably fed into that sort of Hollywood blacklisting sort of thing that came later um, because this is so. This is so American, so FBI that it's not really Hollywood anymore. So it almost feels like they're trying to get in bed with the FBI, with America, trying to prove their loyalties, trying to, you know, they're going overboard with this movie really. And, and I think at the, the time period, that's what people were wanting or the FBI was trying to show the American people that, Hey, this is, we're very powerful and we were able to take down all these people and, everything that, that was great about them. And it just, it, it was just too much. It was just too much, uh, especially looking back on it now. And it, it shocked me um, as I was researching this movie that this won an Academy award for um, an original motion picture story. 
which I find staggeringly amazing because it's not an original story. It's something that actually happened. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not being funny. If the FBI made it, you know, you can, you, you're over a battle straight away, aren't you? Probably. Yeah. Say. Yeah. So, hey, Carla, let's take a break real quick and talk to our listeners about our sponsors. All right, guys, we're back and we're going to keep talking about this film. The story itself, as it went on, just if it's a true story, but it feels so implausible that this is the way that it went down. Like there's it's just so implausible, like it really took some dedicated Germans to catch this guy and figure out what he's doing and be so leery of him from the beginning and all based on the fact of the FBI basically sticking their own foot in their mouths and saying, Hey, he has access to all the agents. Yeah. I feel like they were so clever, like sending messages on stamps, sending messages through books. Like they were so clever. Surely they were too clever to let him be the one to have everybody come to him. But did he, with with that whole setup and changing his credentials to say he has access to all the... Stop saying credentials. <laughs> You've got to take a swig. All right, hold on one second. Got to take a swig. There you go. You happy? I did mine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> without seeing his... Inform Thanks. informative documentation <laughs> about about him being able to 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 speak with any of the uh, the the sleeper agents. None of this would happen. They would not have been leery of him. They would not have suspected him of anything. And on that note, did he actually speak to anybody? No, because he went. Yeah, everything went through that Elsa. Yeah, only, it didn't make. Even if he spoke to a couple of people, that guy in the in the bar that had the drunk mate. Uh huh. Um, and the doctor, who was one of the main ones, anyway. Yeah, so it, it like that that blew the whole thing apart, or, and potentially he, he, almost got him she killed. She never let him have access to anybody. She went, "Oh, right, okay, well, I'll contact these people on your behalf." Right, it, but he never really got to them. Yeah, it seemed like such an overstep for the FBI to do that that they they very likely could have gotten him killed pretty easily. Yeah, that that just sort of seemed. I don't know. I had a left field, really. And I can understand why they, you know, were so skeptical of him. But I feel like um, he he played it very well. and was just like, you know, whatever. I'm here to do a job. I don't know why they told me that I have access to everybody. But uh, I mean, they said it. So, OK, yeah, I'm, I'm here to build a radio station. So here's my parts. You know, I mean, all that kind of went through well. And I felt like, OK, I mean, maybe they could drop it until something happens. But they stayed consistently, um, you know, leery of this guy, and I didn't really, I didn't really feel like it was warranted. So why didn't they go to the radio station for earlier? Well, true, yeah, I don't know why. Because yeah. if I if I was untrusting, if I was that untrusting, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? Okay, let's both go to the radio station together, and if you want to go and tattletale on me, then we'll see who's right. Right? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and I, maybe the only thing I can think of is just because of all the elements we don't see. And there's so much mm. things there that uh, aren't privy to the FBI or to our lead character. Um, like maybe they have she's dealing with a whole bunch of other people. Right. And there's yeah. really no time to like do that until it's necessary, which is kind of what happens in the movie. They go to the radio station when it's necessary. But by that time, we're at the end of the story and it's like, you know, hey, send this note. Hey, wait a minute. You know, don't send that note because you're a spy. Um, and it's just, it, you know, it, it, it just could be one of those things where we're just not privy to all the information, how many people that she's dealing with. Um, but do, speaking of her, uh, I was pretty impressed with the plot point of the shoes. Um, we see the shoes a few times. And I mean, it really sells it that there's some guy out there and, you know, the guy that grabs what's his name? Christopher or whatever his name is uh, bag after he gets hit by the car, which is silly. I mean, I'm sure that's, that's true. And that happened, but I mean, he just like literally backs into fucking traffic like an idiot. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and you know, she, she, or the man with the shoes, as we later know, ends up being the, the woman that's sort of controlling everything in the American side. 
um, takes the bag. And then we see the shoes a couple more times throughout the movie. And at the very end, you sort of get that little plot twist of seeing her dressing as a man. Um, and you get to see the shoes and she gets away, you think. But no, she doesn't because she's stupid enough to what, go back in time. Yeah, I, I don't understand why. <laughs> like, why did she do that? Yeah. I am. Um, I think the main thing that let me down about this film was that I guessed the ending, um, which is unusual for me because normally I'm the one sat there that's like, I don't get it. <laughs> well, what did you guess about it? Like, what, what, what part of it, like, did you get before it actually happened? Um, I okay, so I got that she was Mr. Christopher. Oh, when she says that it was one particular line. That I got, uh-huh. which was uh, where it is when she says, "I can't remember what what they're arguing about, but he, they're having a bit of an argument about something." And she says, "The orders came from Mr. Christopher." Yeah, himself, and he's been so desperately trying to get to Mr. Christopher. She's got contacts with everybody apparently in this spy ring. Right. So if the orders have come from Mr. Christopher, they've got to have come from her because she was. It was the way she delivered it. She was so like so stern as if to say, "Get it done." Right, right. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I didn't. It, catch I it. think it it was not necessarily what she said. It was more how she said it. Maybe that I just saw that and thought, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." She's got to be in a bonnet. Yeah, no, I, I that's a good point. I think you, uh, I think you did a good job figuring that out because I didn't pick up on it. Um, well, that it that it bothered me for a couple more scenes because I thought, "No, really," because I couldn't figure out how she could be Mister Christopher. And then in the end, it turned out it was just as simple as addressing as a bloke. Right. Yeah. And half the time I spent thinking that we're seeing a prequel of the events of the guy getting hit. Mm. Um, I spent most of the movie thinking that when that man was hit, he was Christopher. Mm. And um, and we were seeing like what happened before that. And it yeah. was going to eventually come come into play later at the end of the movie. I did not realize that we were actually following it linearly. And all of this takes place after the guy was hit. So I would have never gotten what you picked up on. Um, but again, I guess that's the reason why the, the story, the, the movie part of the movie works pretty well in terms of an espionage sort of spy film um, in that regard. Um, is that that all that is seems like it's it's done fairly well and it's interesting once you get past all the FBI propaganda stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that was really a disservice to the movie. If they were going to do a biopic, you know, sort of movie about that, that happened, they should have left all that FBI stuff on the table and and left it subjective, um, you know, for people to be able to watch and kind of formulate their own opinion. Uh, because my idea, well, I mean, okay, he's a true American. He decided to help the FBI to take down a spy ring. Um, but there's always a bloody spy ring, isn't there? What we taking down? A spy ring. Right. What we taking down? A shed? No, a spy ring. (laughs) Well, you know, you guys have that too over there with your, um, what do you call it? Like MI5 and all that kind of stuff, right? MI5, MI5 couldn't get themselves out of a bloody paper bag. <laughs> okay. Say that the spy read. That's why Robert Powell's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like you guys over there have a lot of faith in your government at all. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Oh, no, we love them. Yeah, <laughs> just in case yeah. they're listening. <laughs> just in case anyone's listening. <laughs> Love you guys. <laughs> Big believer in that tax. I pay that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I uh, oh boy, this this was a this was a tough one to watch. It was it was pretty boring for the most part uh, in the first half of the movie. It got a little better. Did you feel like a- it felt longer than it was? Yeah, because it was it wasn't a long film, but it felt like it gone on for like two hours. Yeah, I do. I, I think the movie was only like you know maybe ninety minutes or something. Yeah, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure when I checked on it because um, sure it's like eighty eight minutes or something like that, but it felt so much longer. Yeah, because well, because I think a half an hour of it is just telling us how great the FBI is. I mean, they um, are pretty great. So. 
um it just yeah i think that if they had cut that out maybe they did it for time maybe they wanted they needed a 90 minute movie and they had to put that i don't really know possibly um it seems like it was a little more than that the fbi probably financed a portion of it maybe Um, if they had to get approval from the fbi for the story and stuff like that though maybe they had to tick certain boxes possibly you know what it's like you know you get a particular investor that wants x y and z if you want the money you gotta do it yep i mean that's that's very possible yeah. Now, did you see that there's a sequel to this? No. Yes, there is a sequel. And uh, Lloyd uh, Nolan reprises his role as Inspector Briggs and the sequel. And the okay. sequel is called The Street With No Name. And it was in 1948. Um, and this time they take on organized crime. So it's kept on, you know, it's all. Oh, American. so it's like the same sort of character in a different yeah. scenario. Right. I quite liked his character. So maybe that might be interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's going to be worth checking out. At least I, I, I can't imagine they're going to rehash all that FBI stuff. And I'm assuming that this movie only got made because this one was well received and won an Academy Award and all that. Um, even, I mean, even years after, um, and I'm not sure if you found this out, but I thought this was pretty interesting. I thought you would like this and I would actually go and see if I could try to find this, but there's a 30 minute adaption, um, that was made for radio theater oh. and stars Humphrey Bogart. <gasps> oh, did you find it? I haven't found it yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to suck, Maris. Yeah. And that, that one came out, um, in May 3rd of 1952. Why so would you tell me that without saying, here's the link? <laughs> because. <laughs> so, because. So that was like seven years later. And so this, this thing had some legs at the time, you know? Yeah. Um, and even today it's sort of regarded as a, as a good film, but, um, it has lost a little bit of its luster and, you know, a lot of people have noticed the, you know, FBI propaganda angle and it's, it's lost a little bit of its, uh, um, critical appeal is, you know, I guess I would say, but it's still held in pretty high regards. Um, and you know, again, the, uh, the actual movie portion, you know, was, I, I think for the most part was pretty well done. It, it was fun. It was interesting. Um, it was just really hard to to get there with that long FBI opening. I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected, especially in the first 10 minutes. Um, I thought the, the actress that play, played Elsa was mm-hmm. brilliant. Yeah, I thought she was really good. She, she was, was great. She was freaking terrifying as well. That stare when she just <laughs> shouts, just shouts a certain, Max! <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, even no, me also popped good. his head around the corner and was like, "You shouting me? No, it's a lady on the TV, but I like it." <laughs> <laughs> she was great. Yeah, she is. She she did a pretty great job. Um, I think actually, I think all of the actors for the most part were were pretty pretty good. Even the henchmen, everybody was you know yeah did a pretty good job. It was well acted. the The direction was a little stiff for me. Um, you know, it felt more like it was like a '30s film. Um, until you get some of the action parts, but, um, you know, it didn't seem like they took any creative liberties in terms of the cinematography or any of that kind of stuff. It's played pretty straight. Um, so creatively, I thought it could be a lot better. And I mean, yeah. it definitely Again, could be though, a better If movie. you've got 20 FBI agents on your film set, I mean, right. are, <laughs> are you going to spend 25 minutes telling them that they need to like, right. Do X, Y, and Z and stand to the side while you get a nice cinematic shot of the street? Or are you just going to be like, yeah, yeah, you do what you want, guys. You sit, don't even sit in the car. It's fine. We don't even need that shot. That's fine. You just linger. <laughs> I'll make it work. <laughs> right. Hey, did you catch also that they said that all of the locations were the actual locations where things took place? Really? No, I didn't know. Yeah. So I'm wondering, the, the there's a few things that I was wondering about that. I was like, is the dress shop, the actual dress shop where they were holed up at is that actually the little speakeasy den in the back that they have where they're doing all their spy stuff spy (laughs) stuff you know is that i want to know if that was the actual location that that would be really cool to me um if it was and i know all the fbi locations and things like that were real um but certain things like that and the house or the apartment or whatever it is that 
caught on fire at the, you know, all that stuff. I wonder if all of those locations were the actual locations. Um, that would be pretty, pretty cool to me, but I don't think it's enough to, for me to, to love this film, but it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting piece of history. I guess I would call well, it. I'm interested to hear your rating. <clears throat> um, hmm. Well, I guess because there's so much going against this movie, even though I do think that the story itself was pretty good. Um, and that's probably just because it's based on a true story. You know, um, I think life imitates fiction more than fiction imitates life. Honestly, um, I think there's more weirdness in the world that you can't think up. Um, and when you hear about something, you're like, that can't be true. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, I just I feel like the FBI propaganda stuff is a disservice to the film now. Maybe it worked well at the time, but today I think it hurts the film. Um, it does not help draw you into the story. I think maybe it's just because uh, we know so much about the FBI and all that kind of stuff. Now it's not really a mystery. Um, maybe it's because of all those techniques are now completely outdated and you know are done differently to, I don't really know what the, the issues with that is but it's just it was too long it was too there was too much going on at the beginning that didn't exactly matter to our story per se it was too much of a history lesson too much of a propaganda film um, and that hurt it greatly for me um, and really took me out of the movie for like the first half of it uh, and I I think it got better and I think it was it became interesting um, you know just based on its own merit of what, you know, what's happening and what, you know, what happened in real life. Um, and so it was still in, an interesting film to watch, but I don't think I would ever watch it again. I don't think I have any need to. Um, it, it was just too, too flat for me. And I also don't really feel like it's a noir film. I don't know why it's called. I think, I think there was, I think like there was some noir shots in that. Um, that you could see where maybe they were trying, but perhaps it was just a bit of a, a battle of having to take some boxes and wanting to be creative, and that's kind of where it sits. I don't know. I can see why I can see why people would class it as a noir film, but I can also see the argument as to why it's not. I can't though. I like I don't see anything noir about. Like, what do you see that's noir? I, don't, I, I mean, did, even the. It was mainly how we, like some of the shots hmm. with um. It was mainly Elsa. Like when you had certain shots with her and the way they were kind of framing her and framing the light in. Yeah. That's where I could see it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could see that. Not necessarily story or anything like that. Um, not the lead character because I thought he was a bit of a wet, wet white, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but she, her character and, and she was very film noir if you picked her up and put her in another film. Yeah, I could see that. I, Does I, that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I definitely wouldn't call it a film noir film, though. I, I don't know why it's classified as that. I mean, this is obviously a, uh, you know, an espionage uh, spy film, you know, more than anything. Well, I mean, it's competing with the whole FBI propaganda film <laughs> portion of it. But uh, yeah, I don't I wouldn't really call it noir at all, but it's it's heavily classified as a film noir. I don't know why. And it says it's the first film noir produced by Louis de Rockman, but I don't, I don't, uh, so what? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, they call it a semi-documentary style police thriller, um, but it's semi-documentary might be right, but it's not a police thriller. It's a FBI thriller. It's a spy thriller. It's not film the war to me i feel like i feel like you're getting towards a really mean rating i'm getting there yeah yeah that's why <laughs> I thought an, you should go first yeah it's it's um i liked it enough in order to like say okay i, I see its merit but not enough to like you know be a great film to me so I, I would give this movie a five five gens out of ten um and i guess that continues my five streak yeah you've got five uh, for yeah. five nearly yeah so, I mean, and I hate, I hate doing that. I don't like, I don't like talking crap about films. I love films, but it's just, you know, we're gauging these films against each other, I guess, more or less. So mm. out of all the films that we've looked at and looking at 
this is probably the worst one I think that we've viewed um, in my eyes, like in terms of because it's and I know we've gone outside noir a couple times, but this one just like it's got so much against it to me that it just wasn't it, we probably shouldn't have even watched this film. <laughs> well, well done, Morris, for suggesting it. Yeah, well, you know what? That damn article I read was all wrong. And I just feel like they just had the wrong write-up or I got, maybe this is the wrong film altogether. Maybe like I got the name wrong. I don't know what it is. Some, something happened there. And the movie that we watched was not at all what I read about. <laughs> <laughs> Blinked and you missed it. Yeah, like the credentials. I mean, Blinked and you missed them. Yeah. I think the, the, whoever wrote the article is just nuts because I mean, it, it, Talked about it being a noir film and all that. So, I mean, I don't know, whatever. But yeah, there you go. That's five gens out of 10. And that's all it's going to get for me. Wow. It's your turn, Carly. Give us that eight. You know you yeah. want to rate it eight. Well, I'm hovering around a seven. Holy crap, really? Yeah, yeah, I'm hovering around a seven because... I really thought a six at the best for you, well, really. I don't know, because... I really, really didn't enjoy the documentary portion of it. Like, if it had been just that the whole way through, I would quite happily have sat and watched that because I, I quite like watching crime documentaries, so that's fine. But you weren't you weren't set up for a documentary. No, though. I was not set up for a documentary. It took me by surprise and went on for a little bit too long. Right. And then never went back to it. It's so you're going to give it a four? Like, it's not even like there was like a, a rhythm to it, you know, where in the middle they went back to a little bit of narrative and then at the end they did it again. There was no real rhythm to it. Four. Um, Give it a four. That's my four. subliminal messaging. <laughs> keep talking. I'm going to keep saying it. And eventually when you get to your rating, you're going to give it a four. I'll just mirror what you four. said. Four. Um, stop it. Four. <laughs> stop it. Because then I'm going to say it. Never I don't know. I, I think they're like two separate films. Like the whole four. FBI thing at the beginning and the actual film should be treated separately. The actual film I quite enjoyed. And I thought it was quite clever. I thought it was quite interesting. I was quite happy watching that. And I quite liked it. That just it. gave me an idea. If they had shown that first like 20 minutes or whatever it was as like a short film in the yeah. theater before playing the actual movie, yeah. that would have made a that whole hell of a lot of sense. Brilliant. But because it was bunged together all as one, it made it really uneven. Mm -hmm. But I did really enjoy the actual film portion when we got there. So that's why I feel like that bit four. deserves a seven. Four. four. <laughs> okay, I'll go six. Does that make you happy? <laughs> no, you get you rate it whatever you need to. <laughs> I feel like I'm negotiating four. here. Four. I'm gonna say seven because you're saying four over four. and over again. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you're gonna cut that out so I look like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> you better not. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say seven. Wow, I'm I'm really surprised by that. A seven. Mm. Wow. Well, nothing nothing annoyed me about it other than the opening and the wet lettuce lead character. But everybody else was brilliant, and I thought it was really clever, and I really liked seeing the intricate bits of how they did it and how it worked, and him trying to get himself out of a situation the FBI dumped him in and. I would have liked a bit more, but I mean... I thought Backfire was better than this. Ugh, don't... Well. <laughs> well, to each their own. Uh, you tell us, guys at home listening to this, if you get around to watching The House on 92nd Street, you're either a fan of the FBI... Uh, I don't know what else you could be a fan of. I mean, <laughs> I, got, I got a visa, so I'm not going to tell you that the FBI propaganda <laughs> film's bad. I'm going to write it on my visa application. By the way, <laughs> FYI, big fan of the FBI. your propaganda <laughs> film. I would love to have a recruitment place for the FBI. Sign me up. <laughs> Give me a visa and sign me up. But by the way, I can't handle a gunk so I can't be trusted. And also I don't like dangerous situations. So if I could just be in the office with the filing cabinet, that'd be great. <laughs> oh boy. What do you reckon? <laughs> it might work. I don't know. Maybe I it'll think work. it will. I'll be like, well, my second's credential, because I've got credentials as well. <laughs> Take a sip, everybody. Is I watch a lot of the X-Files. 
So, you know, just give me a pokey little office and let me put some posters up and throw some pencils in the ceiling and I'll just, you know, <laughs> keep myself to myself. A little hole in the basement, yeah? Yeah, with me post-it notes. <laughs> just come down and see me every now and again. <laughs> I can see that happening. <laughs> now, you can't drink on the job. Fuck off, I'm in a basement. I'll do whatever I want. It's my filing cabinet. <laughs> All right, guys, there you have it. That's the house on 92nd Street. Carly's now going to join the FBI. <laughs> uh, so let's congratulate her on that uh, career move. Hey, do you reckon my badge will say Lady Carly? <laughs> right, the, fir- the first lady FBI <laughs> the agent. The first royal <laughs> FBI agent. <laughs> um, watch it for yourselves. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's worth seeing. Um, just be prepared that there is a, a documentarian portion at the beginning of the movie that I don't think Carly or I was uh, aware of at the time. And it took us by surprise. And I think it hurt the film, uh, you know, us not knowing about it. So you guys have been forewarned. Uh, you know what you're up against. Check it out. Tell us if this movie is noir or not, because I certainly don't think it is. Uh, Carly's founding some, you know, has found some nuggets of noir in there. Um but uh, it's it's probably worth a shot uh, for you guys to check out. And that is the end of the show. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed your FBI fizz and your FBI propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> An FBI application. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a link to the FBI application in the uh, show notes. So take a look for that. You know, you might want to sign up and, uh, uh, you know. Uh, Ref- referral, speakeasy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> shut down a couple spy rings <laughs> <laughs> alright guys until next time bye bye he's looking at you kid thanks for joining us this week on the speakeasy noir cast make sure to visit our website resurrectionfilms.net where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher or any of your favorite podcast apps so you'll never miss a show while you're at it if you found value in the show we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would help us out too if you like the show you might want to check out our book The Dark Side of Acting Up available now on Amazon or you can check out one of our films available on Amazon Prime 